A man followed a woman and her dog out of the cinema. And he stopped her and he said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I couldn't help noticing your dog was really into the movie. He cried at all the right spots. He fidgeted in his seat in the boring parts. But most of all, he laughed like crazy at all the funny bits. Did you find that unusual? Yes, she replied, because he hated the book. (laughs) In today's gospel reading, uh, we had three of Jesus' disciples witness something that was certainly unusual and pretty awesome, as well as mysterious. And they weren't really sure what was going on. And I'd like us today to take a glimpse beyond, beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, even the divine. There's a beautiful Celtic saying, heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in the thin places, that distance is even smaller. A thin place is where the veil that separates heaven and earth is lifted, and one is able to receive a glimpse of the glory of God. And Celtic Christians believed that they lived on the borders, the edge of the physical and the spiritual, where two worlds intermingle. In certain places, they thought they could even touch heaven, experience something of God's glory breaking through into their lives with mysterious light to inspire and encourage and challenge them. And often these places are or become places of prayer. So maybe the transfiguration was something similar, albeit in an extreme sense. Something of the glory of God breaks through and Peter, James and John get a glimpse beyond. It happens in a thin place, up a mountain where Luke tells us Jesus and his friends went up to pray. So be prepared. Prayer changes things. It makes a difference when the people of God fall on their knees. Some argue that the answers to prayer are merely coincidences. But it's a bit strange, isn't it, that when Christians stop praying, those coincidences stop happening. It's also true to say that prayer doesn't always change things, but often it changes people, and then those people are able to change things. So in Mark's account of the transfiguration, a story that's also in Matthew and Luke as well, three of Jesus' disciples witnessed something profoundly mysterious. It's reminiscent of Exodus 24 when Moses saw God when he was together with Aaron and Nabdab and Abihu and 70 elders. And it all happened at an anxious time in Jesus' ministry. He was about to make his journey to the cross. In Mark 8, there was the declaration that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and now he was going to make his way to Jerusalem. But Jesus never took a step without his father's approval. And so he goes with his friends up a mountain to glimpse beyond, to catch a vision of what God wanted for him, to seek his father's heart. 
Traditionally, it's thought they went up Mount Tabor. It could have been the solitude of Mount Hermon. We're not quite sure. And it's as Christ prayerfully humbles himself, knowing what was before, that this mysterious transfiguration takes place. Soap powder adverts often claim to make clothes whiter than ever. True or not, I'm sure there's no washing product that could match the dazzling sight of Jesus' clothes on that day because it says, or Mark writes these words, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. We're not sure what actually happened. All we know is that whilst he was praying, his face shone and something of his father's glory burst through into his life. Perhaps a foretaste of the appearance of his resurrection body, we're not sure. In our culture, when we talk about glory, it's usually associated with stardom or great achievement or wealth. But the glory of Jesus is seen in humble obedience, in loving service. Because it's as he decided he was going to be obedient, as he wanted to go and serve the world by giving his very self to death, to go on to the resurrection. It's then that he's transfigured. And that word comes from the same root as metamorphosis, which is uh, where it's the same Greek word, and it's the idea of transformation, a caterpillar into a, a beautiful butterfly. John Wesley, Charles Wesley picks up the, these words, doesn't he? Change from glory into glory. And when we sung, shine Jesus, shine, the glory was mentioned again in the same way. If our Christianity doesn't change us, then we're not true disciples of the Lord. Christ's followers need to glimpse beyond the status quo and see something bigger and brighter. We become a people who see the glory of Jesus and find it attractive and want it for ourselves. That's what Martin was talking last week when he was talking about being copycats. But to do this, it all starts with being close to God and seeking his transformation and seeking his will for our lives. And that's why they went up the mountain. And we are to pray that something of the likeness of Christ by his Holy Spirit may be made known. Now, no doubt Jesus had reflected really hard about whether he was doing the right thing in going to Jerusalem. It must have been a scary thing, knowing what was before him. And as he headed there to save the world and knowing that's what he was setting out to do, he had time, even with a whole world to save, just to be with God, to be with his friends. And it's then the change takes place. And he finds he has company as well. He's joined by two distinguished men of God from the past. Moses, who was the infamous lawgiver, and Elijah, one of the greatest prophets. It's an amazing Bible summit 
the founder and the reformer of the old Israel, uh, both give Jesus the green light to carry out his vocation. If he's in any doubt, this affirmation from the past says, yes, this is what you need to do. For he was fulfilling all their hopes and expectations. Luke, in his gospel, says they were discussing his departure in Jerusalem. And the word actually means exodus. This was his exodus, his departure. And God used Moses to liberate his people. But ultimately, the real deliverance was to come through Jesus and the cross. And yet while all this was going on, the the disciples hadn't grasped what was happening. They hadn't glimpsed beyond their expectations of who Jesus was. They needed to see that new vision. So first thing I want to say is whatever our uncertainties or challenges that may face us at the moment... Do we take our leaf out of Jesus' book and actually take time to pray and perhaps gather some friends around us to do that very thing? Whether it be something we're suffering or we're being persecuted for something or we have uncertainty over the way ahead, the message is don't fear. Simply make time to pray on your own or with your friends. And find those places that have been thin for you. Where you've actually felt something of the divine breakthrough into your ordinary world. And then try to find out what God's saying to you in that moment, in that place. The three who will gather around you will be the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as you pray, expect the unexpected. Now, there are many thin places in the Bible. And let me help you to understand what we mean by thin places. Mount Horeb was one where Moses took off his sandals by the burning bush because he was standing on holy ground. It was a place where he sensed the presence of God. Moses ascends Mount Sinai and God speaks to him and a covenant is made with Israel. Sinai was a a thin place. Three days later, the Lord descends on the mountain in a cloud and through Moses, God warns the Israelites in a dramatic way not to approach the mountain because it was holy. Then the Lord reveals his purpose. And gives the Ten Commandments. It was a thin place. But the people were afraid because of all they'd experienced there. And rather than going to it, they went away from it. In fact, it wasn't until after the time of Jesus that Christians actually established St. Catherine's Monastery on Sinai. Because they almost felt it was too holy to go to. There are other thin places or thin times in the Bible. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The tabernacle. The very significant temple in Jerusalem where people felt close to God. Something of the spiritual world met with the physical world. 
Now we can say that when Jesus entered into the world, if you like, something of the same thing was happening in the incarnation. Something of the divine comes to be with us, God with us. But what's more, through his death and resurrection, the veil was torn in two. Again, the glory of God is seen more fully. And it would seem that Jesus wanted always to look beyond. He always sought out those solitary places, especially when the crowds were following him. He took time out, and Gethsemane was one of those places for him. A thin place where he could pour out his heart to God. Now, if Jesus needed to find these sort of places, what about you? Where is it that you go to actually draw close to God? Sometimes people feel it's when they come into church. For them, it's a thin place. They feel very, very close to God. It's as though suddenly the veil is parted and they see something of God or hear something of God. But there are many, many other places that we can find in our daily lives where we can feel particularly close to God. I used to go to, uh, when I worked in the city as a, a money broker, I used to go to the little chapel in St. Lawrence of Jewry, which was just around the corner from where I worked in uh, Gresham Street. And every lunchtime I went out from the chaos of my day, and I used to go into that place, quite a high church really, and I just used to kneel and pray. And for me it was just a moment to catch breath and to say, to God, what is it you want of me in this day? And people have gone to other places for generations. Uh, it may be um, a, a particular place, not locally. I go to Winchester to see my spiritual director. That's become a thin place for me, where I feel particularly close to God, just walking by the river. But people have gone to Iona and Lindisfarne Abbey, Holy Island and retreat houses, shrines and cathedrals like Durham, Westminster Abbey, world pilgrimage sites, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, the Holy Land, the Way of St. James. There are many, many other places because people have prayed there for years. It's as though it's a thin place. You can feel close to God. Place to get away from it all, but to come to God. And it seems to me that whilst these places are thin and they're special and we ought to seek them out, there are also everyday thin places as well. Perhaps not quite so special, but places that we can go to to be revived. Now, whether it's a special thin place or an everyday thin place, I want to encourage you this morning to seek them out in your busy lives. One of the things I would love to do for this church is actually to have a church retreat where we all go to a thin place together. Just to pray and be together, just for a period of time, overnight to be somewhere, and it's something that I'd love to do. Because I think we need, as a church as well as individuals, to allow something of the glory of God to break into our lives. Now, the Reverend Dr. Mark Roberts wrote in a blog once that the Garden of Eden was the first 
thin place until it was spoilt by the fall. He wrote these words. Let me read them to you. Our thin places tend to be places of rest, quiet and prayer, worship and reflection and peace. Not places filled with colleagues and to-do lists, emails, fax machines, computers, cell phones, etc. This doesn't surprise me, but it does make me wonder about thin places and their relationship to the ordinary and our workday lives. If the first thin place, arguably the thinnest place of all, was a place where people worked, the Garden of Eden, what difference might this make in the way that we think about our work too? And even thin places for that matter. That really fits in with my own experience. Because I think that when you take time to pray with people and you take time to find thin places, you suddenly find thin places break out in the ordinary too. It's as though you become tuned. Let me give you an example. Francis and I were once at the end of a really heavy day and we decided to treat ourselves out to an evening meal. And we chose to go to Colossio's. This is not an advert, but it's just down on Victoria Street, a little Italian restaurant. And the waitress sat us down in the window. You feel a bit like everybody's looking at you when you're tucking into your meal. But we saw as we ate a really disturbing sight. Because as we tucked into our meal, having had a really bad day, there were a couple of quite unkept homeless men reaching through a bin just the other side of the glass trying to find food and rescue cardboard for their bedding and all this was just inches away from where we were just a thin piece of glass separated two very different worlds and suddenly our bad day didn't seem quite as bad And it was as though in that moment there was a kind of breakthrough of God, certainly into my life, that says, now, this is not right. Something needs to be done. It was an everyday moment, but somehow it was impactful. Just that thin place in a restaurant. And Francis and I were both moved and we talked about it on the way home. And actually I wrote a book on the back of it, which you can buy on the bookstore, but that's not what I'm mentioning it for, because it propelled me to do something. Because some of the money that I raised from the book has gone to the passage because I felt we ought to do something about it. Now this is where thin places come to mission. Because when we allow God to break into our lives, often it propels us into movement. It makes us want to do something. Jesus, it propelled him down the mountain. The disciples wanted to build a place for them to dwell, to stay there, to enjoy it. He said, no, we've got to go on. The mission's got to take place. And my experience is when I go away, I come back revived to do something, to be something different. Jesus met with those, together with those two important guys on the mountaintop, the three of them there together. Peter was wrong in saying, stay there. 
And it's tempting to say, well, we want to dwell in the thin places all the time. But actually, we can't. We've got to get on with life. Jesus propels us into the world to do something for him, to go down from the mountaintop and to bring about change in the world as his light shines through us. The true glory of that moment could only be understood in the light of Jesus' imminent death and resurrection. When we go on retreat, it's actually an advance (laughs) because we go backwards in order to go forwards. My question is, are you retreating enough in order to advance? Are we engaging in mission because somehow the light of the glory of the Lord seen in the face of Christ propels us in that way? And as the cloud of the presence of God comes upon us, we hear the word of God. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. It's reminiscent of that voice at the baptism. But after Jesus hits that point in Caesarea Philippi, now is the time to go onwards. In our epistle lesson, Paul prays to the church in Corinth that God has shone in our hearts in the the light of Jesus' face. He prays that people will know that light, that the veil may be parted. And yet some people, he says, will be blinded to the truth of Jesus. Note that the disciples heard and saw all this, but they didn't speak about it until after the resurrection. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And sometimes when you come back from being on retreat or in prayer, you just need to be quiet for a while until the time is right to speak out. And Paul was reminding the Corinthian Christians that even if our gospel is veiled, and it is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, we need great wisdom if the blind are to see. And it's only when we actually behold the light of Christ and shine for him at his bidding that wonderful things can happen. So, what's the message of the sermon? Take time to find the thin places. Allow them to propel you into mission and listen to what God is calling you to do. We need to take a glimpse beyond our circumstances if we're actually to see the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us pray together. Mysterious and holy God, forgive us when our dreams of the future are shaped by anything other than a glimpse beyond, a glimpse of the depths of your love, a glimpse into the kingdom of justice and peace, a glimpse to what the end of poverty might look like, a glimpse into what it might mean if all come to know that you are Lord. Incarnate God, you taught us to serve one another, to speak out for what is right, 
Make us content with nothing less than the world that is transformed into the shape of your grace and love, where poverty, exclusion, and suffering are no more. But help us to take those times to breathe in prayer and be transformed by you and for you. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We sing together. God of eternal light, your promises we claim.